If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Daniel chapter 6? And this is a, a favorite um, Bible story. This may be like one of the most taught Bible stories in Sunday schools, um, just because it's, it's, it lends itself very easily to happy interpretations, because it is, it is a story of God's faithfulness and his ability to deliver from times of trial. So we're in Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to read the chapter together, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the, king, put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel 
And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, may you, great, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. For he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's a pretty good story. And probably, and more than a story, it's a pretty good account of something that we believe actually happened. And it's very encouraging. But there's a lot going on here. Now, always start out, I try and place everything in the story of Israel that we've been, and probably some of you are getting tired of it, but always try and bring to why we are where we are. And we've always, we've been talking about God's desire in making a good creation that he designed to have fellowship with us and how through man's bad choices that became corrupt, evil entered into this perfect creation and it became fallen and God immediately began a plan of redemption. And he did that through calling one man and through that man a family and through that family a nation. And we, we looked at the history of that nation that he had chosen to be the vehicle of his plan of redemption and how they had been unfaithful to that and because of that went into exile. And this is a story that takes place during that exile. And there's some, some history that's gone on here that we're going to just catch up on a little bit to understand where we are in Daniel. Now, it was the kingdom of Babylon that carried Judah off into captivity after the northern kingdom had gone, a hundred years before, had gone into captivity because of the Assyrians. The Babylonians came under Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed Jerusalem and carried off its people captive in two waves. Well, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah and his instructions to the people. He's like, don't lament. You're not cut off forever. Where you're going to go, pray for the prosperity, work for the prosperity of those communities. Um, because I'm not done with you. I'm still doing things through you. You're not cut off. There's still a hope here. So they've been establishing themselves in Babylon and living kind of peacefully among those communities. And then another wave of power comes in. And the Babylonians are overthrown by the Persians. Now, it's not immediately apparent what this is going to mean for the Jews. Could mean something good, could mean something bad, but what it means for sure is change. And um, some people thrive on change. Some people do well in changing circumstances. Those are really sick individuals. Most of us prefer stability. We want to know when we get up in the morning, we want to have a good sense of how things are going to go. This, this is not that time. You don't have a, a good sense of how things are going to go. But God is faithful even in times of change. Now, one of the first signs of faithfulness is that even though the Babylonians have been overthrown, we find Daniel, who first came to favor under the Babylonians, he was 
actually favored by Nebuchadnezzar and by his son Belshazzar um, for his ability to interpret dreams and, and have wisdom in governing affairs. Well, the Persians keep him on. And this, this is kind of what the Persians did. When they took something over, um, if, if the civil government was working well, they didn't mess with it. They're like, well, you know, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So Daniel still has his position in power, even under the Persians. And, and indeed, he's doing really well. He's, he's recognized for his ability. Everything he turns his hand to prospers. Uh, he's kind of very much like Joseph in this. And it doesn't seem, you know, he's not doing it for personal gain. In fact, when charges are brought against him, they're not going to be able to find, you know, he's not, which would have been perfectly normal at the time for a governor to, you know, two for the king, one for me, two for the king, one for me. But he's not doing that. He is being very faithful. So he has found favor, which is hopeful with this new regime that's come in. He hasn't been thrown out of power just because the Babylonians are thrown out of power. The first thing there is God preserves his people even in the midst of, of chaos. And he's, he's preserved Daniel. Now one of the first things to notice here is the, the other people aren't coming against Daniel because of his faith. Several times uh, in the story of the Old Testament, we've seen challenges to God's people because they are God's people. You see power challenges from the priests of Baal. They'll oppose the Israelites because the Israelites follow Yahweh and they follow Baal. That's not what's going on here. These people could care less if, if Daniel worshipped sheep. Um, but they're jealous of him. And in their jealousy, they look, what can, what can we hang on this guy? What kind of charge can we make stick? He, this, this guy's squeaky clean. They said, well, maybe something about his religion. Um, so when they, they attack him because of his belief, it's not that there's a... a clash of worldviews going on here, a clash of cultures, it's that they're jealous and they want his position and this is a this is a easy expedient. So they go to Darius and they tell him, hey, we want you to make a decree that anybody that prays to anybody else for 30 days, you know, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. This seems kind of an odd thing for somebody to agree to. If you just think about it, you're like, well, how, how kind of ate up with yourself do you have to be to accept a motion like this? I mean, to us, thinking about it now, it would be like, boy, that guy really thinks a lot of himself. But that's, that's not kind of how things were seen in the ancient world. Worship of a king and prayer to a king was kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance now. You were saying that you were looking to the, to the civil structure, to the government structure, to, to take care of you, to be your all in all. So it wasn't so much that they were personally saying, oh, Darius, you know, you're, you're, you're so great. You're, you're, you're like a god and everybody should worship you. But they're saying, no, everybody, everybody should go all in on, on we're one kingdom. This is our, this is our, our, our unity. Our unity is in you. And it might have made good sense because if he is recently taken over from the Babylonians in this area, and one of the things about the Persians was the Persians got an empire kind of by taking over a bunch of other empires and sticking them together, and they became a, a mega empire, which is one of the reasons you're going to see they have all these governors and satraps because it's, 
They're, they're, this is like the first time that you get in, in that part of the world, you get an empire so large that it's beyond the personal oversight capacity of, of one person or one, one administration. You need a dispersed administration to take care of it. So you have this very, very diverse empire that's brought together from all these different pieces. So in a way, you could really pitch this as, hey, this is a unity project. For the next 30 days, we're just all going to be on the same page. We're all going to be talking about how great the Persian Empire in the person of Darius uh, is. Incidentally, Darius here is, th there are Persian rulers named Darius. There's Darius the Great, who's going to be slightly after this time. When, when it's using Darius here, it's probably not referring to that person. It's probably using Darius more as a title like president. It means the holder of the scepter. So it's just, it's really who's in charge. And point of fact, it's, it's probably Cyrus or somebody who is standing in at, for Cyrus in, in the region of Babylon. So coming before him, they're saying, let's get this project. We're all going to be unified. We're not going to have any voices of disunity. When David is David, when Daniel's confronted by this, he just does business as usual. He's not doing anything different than he normally does. He's like, okay, that's what this is. I'm just going to go on being faithful like I always have been. I've always prayed three times a day in my own room. I'm going to go there and pray. And of course, because they've set this up, they go catch him because he's not making a secret of it. He's not making a show of it either, which we're going to talk about. But he's not making a secret of it. And they see him, and they go to the king and said, hey, Daniel, one of those exiles, pays no attention to you, your majesty. Now, that's a false charge. It's not that he's disregarding the king. It's that he is regarding Yahweh. But the interesting thing is that when the king hears this, he's distressed. And actually, in the original, He's not just distressed, he's mad at himself. So this, isn't, this is going to be different from the kind of the thing we had with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego under Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar was mad at them for like, how dare you worship something else. Darius here is going to be mad at himself because he's going to be like, oh my gosh, what an idiot I am. This is my best guy. And he's immediately going to be repentant. He's going to be searching all night. He's going to be like, what can I do to get this guy, you know, going through the, the legal libraries and getting opinions, you know, what can we do? Is there any way we can let this guy off? Is there anything? And um, the Medes and the Persians have these, once you make a law, you can't change it. Uh, incidentally, that's a really dumb way to run an empire because we all make stupid choices. And if your stupid choices are enthroned in stone, there's no hope for you. So he's, he's upset with himself, and he's, he's trying to come up with a way, and he can't. So Daniel does get thrown into the lion's den. And there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here that, that in, in just a quick reading might not make sense. But Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. It's sealed, and the king seals it with his signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles so that nobody can tamper with it. Well, for one thing, the other nobles are probably looking for it like, okay, nobody can come in to rescue Daniel. But from the king's point of view, he doesn't want anybody to go in and mess with Daniel and blame it on the lions because it would be real easy for them to slip somebody in at night and 
you know, stick him with a spear, and if there's a dead guy there bleeding, the lions are probably going to have lunch. So the king is, if he can do nothing else, he's making sure that this is just a fair test. And he says, your God, whom you serve continually, rescue me, your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. The king recognized that this was Daniel's regular practice. Daniel wasn't doing anything extraordinary. This was how he had always lived his life. And the king recognized that and saw that as a source of hope. That's one of the things um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us, he says, you know, what, what are the things you should do? You should live such good lives among the pagans that, that even though they attack you and everything, they, they still have to admit you're, you're a good and faithful person, and at the last day it'll be for God's glory. So that's what Daniel's doing here. The king returns, to his, uh, king returns to his palace, and he is in mourning all night. He's actually fasting because the king loves Daniel. Daniel has favor with him. Daniel does great things for his empire. The king was planning on putting him over everything. So it's important to the king that he come through this. And the king, is, he's, as much as he can as a pagan, he's in making intercession for Daniel, and he has faith in Daniel's God. He doesn't know Daniel's God yet, but he has faith in Daniel's God that Daniel's God can deliver him. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. He probably wasn't sleeping that much anyway. You know how it is. You're just like, if you have something to do the next day, you go to bed early and you sit there, okay, if I fall asleep now, I can get eight hours of sleep and I can still be there on time. If I fall asleep now, I can get seven hours of sleep and I'll still be there on time and if I fall asleep now, I can get 15 minutes of sleep. And, you know, and then, you know, you hear the birds and you're like, okay, I'm up. So the king is, as soon as, as soon as he can, he gets up, goes, he rolls away the stone. And he says, Daniel, you know, has, has your God, who you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel says, of course, the Lord sent his angel and he stopped the mouth of the lions. So Daniel is removed from the lion's den, and his accusers and their families, kind of gruesome, laws of the Mer uh, Persians and Medes, you know, if you were guilty, your whole family was guilty, they get thrown in, and they're immediately eaten. Well, one of the things that shows is it's not that the lions weren't hungry. It's not like they had a really fat gazelle right before Daniel got in there and, you know, weren't hungry. They were, they were starving, and they immediately tore apart the accusers and their families, showing that it was, it was God's own intervention that preserved Daniel. That's what kept him alive. And Darius recognizes this, and he writes to all the nations and peoples of every language of the earth. And he says, you know, I want you to do well, prosper greatly. you got to fear this God, because I have seen this God is the real deal. He can deliver. Now, he doesn't make it compulsory. He doesn't say, you have to worship this God. But he said, you got to reverence him. I don't, you're not going to be bad-mouthing this God. So but as a result of Daniel's faithfulness, the reputation of God was magnified throughout the Persian Empire. And that's important because one of the reasons that the nation of Judah went into exile in the first place was they weren't carrying out the mission of God. You know, this was God's people that were supposed to carry out his plan of redemption. They were supposed to be telling the rest of the world about God, teaching the rest of the world about God 
making his name great, and instead they were doing everything the nations before them did. They were sacrificing their own children in the, in the fire. They were building pagan idols. They weren't rever- referencing God, reverencing God. And so God basically said, fine, if you're, if you're not going to be a nation on mission for me, I'm going to send you onto the mission field. Uh, we don't think of the exile like that, but that's kind of what happened. Israel went out on mission to Babylon. Um, you know, uh, some of you might know Keith Green. I don't know. Some of you are probably too young to know Keith Green, but he was, he was kind of famous for saying, you know, you should, you should, you know, every, everybody's called to go on the mission field and don't worry about who's going to pay for it because there'll be enough people ignoring God's call and staying home. Well, that's, that, that's actually not biblical. Um, God does not call everybody to go on the mission field, but he does call some people. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So if, if, if you're not moving fast enough, God may move you. And, and that's kind of what he did with the nation of Israel here. And by living godly lives in the midst of first the Babylonians and the Persians, they made God's name great. Now there's some things going on here. Daniel is not doing anything out of the ordinary, out of his ordinary practice. This is his daily practice. He didn't suddenly decide, ooh, there's a culture war going between the Persians and us, so I'm going to start praying. No, this was just his regular practice. It can be, there are times where just being faithful believers in Christ is going to bring us into conflict with the people around us because we live differently. Our beliefs will make us make different choices. That's going to bring us into conflict with people. And if that happens, it's fine. God can deal with that. But as God's people, we're not called to go out of our way to create those conflicts. Sometimes we do things. We actually, things we're commanded to do as acts of faithfulness, we can actually weaponize those. We are commanded to pray. Jesus told us to pray every day. But he also told us, hey, when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door. And God who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. But sometimes we will make very public displays of prayer, knowing that it's going to cause conflict. We're never commanded to deliberately seek seek out conflict. We're called to be peacemakers, not to compromise our beliefs, but to be peacemakers. You know, Paul says in Philippians, he says, you know, let your reasonableness and your gentleness be be evident to everybody. Things that cause confrontation with culture will arise from our beliefs. But we're never deliberately to set out to do that. Daniel did not go, oh, we're not supposed to pray to anybody else, huh? I'm just going to go into the, the Central Park in downtown Susa and put up a sign saying Yahweh is number one and you know, bring this power challenge. He didn't do that. There's a time for that. Elijah at Mount Carmel challenging the prophets of Baal. But that wasn't this time. Daniel just did what he was always doing, and he was faithful. And that faithfulness brought him into conflict. But through that conflict and through his faithfulness, God was able to increase his fame. So the lesson here is if you are following your daily faithfulness to God, if you are doing the things that you always do that are your habitual practices, God will carry you through. It may bring you into conflict. You're not seeking out conflict, but it may bring you into conflict with the people around you, but that's okay. 
God will bring you through. And if God doesn't bring you through, it's because there is some other way. God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So we don't have to worry. But we don't step out of our way to create conflict either. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to present the loving call of our creator, his plan for redemption. We're supposed to talk about this plan of redemption we've been talking about, that God was not content to let his creation perish without him. God made a creation and called it good. He intended it for fellowship with us. He hasn't abandoned that call. Sometimes when we're so eager to proclaim the gospel, we'll, we'll shrink the gospel down and people will present the gospel like as something as, as basic as, oh, you're going to hell, but Jesus died so you didn't have to go to hell. That's not the gospel. It's, it's got part of what's going on there. You are separated from God. You do live in a fallen world, and you do need redemption, and Jesus came to bring that redemption. But the big story is that God loved you originally, and he created creation so he could have fellowship with you, and he's working to restore that. You know, God, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he, he gave his son. Not God was disgusted with the world and ready to pitch it into the trash bin, but, you know, he decided, you know, grudgingly to send Jesus to pull a few people out of the pit. That, that's not the gospel. God loves us. God loves our everyday faithfulness. And through that, he works towards redemption. Well... Steve's going to come up. We're going to remember kind of the keystone of his plan of redemption in our Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs>